Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Here as in Heaven, we'll be looking at how God's promises can give us hope for our hurts. Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. One of the uh, things that surprised me that I remember about uh, my trip to Israel in 2018, we were in Jerusalem and we were staying at the Olive Tree Hotel. And it's, it's, I'm always amazed, you know, there's so many things you remember. We were in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Dead Sea, so many great memories, but I'm always surprised by the, the things you remember. When you get in the hotel and you go on the elevator, there's an announcement at each floor. And the announcement comes across this, this woman's voice. And this is what the announcement was when we got to our floor where our rooms were. It would go like this. Every time the dude would go, ding, and then you'd hear, shalom, shalom. And then they would open up the, the doors. And, you know, that just stuck with me. Every time we'd go to Beth's breakfast, ding, shalom, shalom. <laughs> go down for lunch, ding, shalom, shalom, right? Uh, it, and so I just started staying it. You know, every time I saw my wife, I'd look at her, shalom, shalom. <laughs> look at one of the members of, of our group, you know, and you just look at each other and they go, you go, shalom, shalom. They go, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. That's the elevator. Uh, shalom, 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 shalom. It's a Hebrew word and it, basic form, it's a, it's a greeting. It's a hello. It's a hi. It's a how you doing? What's going on? Um, that's its basic word, meaning. Now, it's a Bible word that has a lot deeper, me, uh, lot deeper significance, a lot deeper ramifications. Uh, shalom means peace. So if we were to make uh, Tim uh, peace on staff, if he was Hebrew, it would be Timmy Shalom, Shalom. Timmy Shalom, Shalom. But we don't do that. It means peace. And when we think of peace, we think of naturally the basic form of peace is the absence of conflict, absence of war between individuals or nations. But there's more to it. There's more to it. Shalom refers to a condition, a life condition, a condition of wholeness, of thriving, of success. It could refer to being in a place of prosperity. Shalom is kind of like you're in the zone. Shalom is you're in the flow. Shalom is, is when everything is falling into place and going well and you, everything you touch is turning to gold and, and everything is going perfectly well with you. What you try to do, you succeed at. What you put your mind to comes to fruition. Shalom, a condition that we could describe as thriving, thriving. Now, scriptures tell us that shalom is a gift of God. Shalom is a gift of God right? Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It's a blessing from the book of Numbers. God provides shalom. And when we're right with God, when we're in a good place with God, the result is peace. Not only are we not in, at war with God, but more we're in a place where we are being blessed by God and we're in a place where we're thriving in life. We're whole. We're not fractured. We're doing well and not struggling. Shalom. 
You know, Jesus came and his promise that he would give us peace, uh, you know, when he was speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, he said, peace be with you. Implication being the work of Jesus on the cross through the empty tomb as life-giving resurrection by his spirit would bring us to a place of peace. Fruit of the spirit includes peace. Being whole, thriving, doing well in life. And, and peace is a condition that every one of us seek. Peace is a condition that every one of us want to be at. Now, we know that the opposite of peace is unpeace or war, conflict, struggle, being broken, not thriving, not being where we need to be, not being in that happy place, not being in the sweet spot, not in the flow we know that the opposite of peace is something that we all deal with, we all struggle with. Remember, we've been talking throughout the series about how God made us, and we said, you know, the truth of Scripture is that God has made us spirit, body, beings. We are both spirit and body. What you do to your spirit affects your, your, your body. What you do to your body affects your spirit. We're spirit, body, beings. And one of the the things that I've become more aware of is just how amazing God made us to be together and how he designed us to feel good when we are living in his blessings. And so we've got this concept of shalom, this place of wholeness and thriving that is a gift from God, living right with God, living right with each other in a place where we are in our sweet spot in life, we're thriving and doing well. We've got this concept that is the desire of our heart and really the, the, the thing that drives us to pursue. But also in that we have now our bodies, our, our bodies and our brains that, that help reinforce that. So we've got shalom, and, and now let's shift our attention to the next concept, our brain, specifically brain chemistry. I'm becoming more and more aware of, of just what goes on in our brains and the chemistry and the complexities of our brains. We're not hardwired, as they say, anymore. We we're now have something called neuroplasticity. In other words, we're capable of forming new ways of thinking and that determine new ways to behave if we just give ourselves to certain practices. We're not hardwired, but we're softwired, and, and that allows our brains to be pretty flexible. And, and what helps us go through all that is all these, these chemicals that are in our brains that, that reinforce good things in our life. And so we, we learn about brain chemicals like endorphins and oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine. And what I've come to see, and this is Dee Bacon here, what I've come to see is the way God made us is that he's made us so that when we are in a position of shalom, when we're living at peace, when we're thriving, the brain does what it's created to do. It dumps these chemicals that make us feel good. They bring a smile to our face and make us feel confident and, and well and, and reinforces the behaviors that facilitate shalom. And so they talk about the, the, the hugging brain chemistry thing, oxytocin. You know, when you feel loved and accepted, when you get hugs and you feel like you're part of a community where you're safe, where you're known and, and you can be known, uh, that, 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 that is a good feeling. When you're in a good relationship, a good loving relationship, it makes us feel good. When you do a task and you apply the skills that you have acquired to life to the challenges that you face in work, it makes you feel good when you succeed and it reaffirms this place of being in shalom. 
when you exercise and, and, and keep yourself healthy, when you, when you do things that bring life, there is a reinforcing feeling that comes because of brain chemistry that God designed for us to reinforce us being in a position of shalom. When you are in a marriage as God intended and you enjoy the blessings of, of the intimacy of sexual relationship with your spouse in the place that God designed it, you, it's reinforced by the good feelings, the, the good, good chemicals that are released that, that make that action of, of thriving Reinforce as something good to, to keep doing, to repeat, to have part of what it means to, to live in shalom. Now, the problem is, is that this system of reinforcement, these good feelings that our brains uh, help us feel because of brain chemistry, the problem is, is that when the system is broken, things go awry. The enemy works against us. That's the teaching of Scripture. We have an enemy called Satan who set up a system that goes counter to what God intended. And the thing about Satan is that he's not creative. He does not create anything new. What he does is he destroys or sullies what's good already and present. And what Satan has done is that he has when we're in a state of rebellion, when we're in a place where we're stepping out of the will of God, when we're stepping out of the way of God in our day-to-day -day life, when we break shalom in our lives, in our experience living in this fallen world, what happens is that we crave the good feelings that come from shalom, and we short-circuit that, that search by pursuing activities and maybe chemicals and maybe things that, that make us feel good, but they're not real, they're temporary, but they still fool us into thinking that we are in shalom because we're doing these things, and hence we come to our conversation about addiction. Addiction. And if you have kids today, I want you to be aware that we'll be entering into some conversations that uh, may be necessary for you to explain, for them to be aware. If you're like, hmm, doesn't sound too good, it's okay, you can, you can slip out let them sit with the folks in our children's ministry. That's okay, but I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. We may be touching on some things that, that are deeper and uh, maybe a little more of a sensitive nature. Addiction. You know, I've often wondered, why do people do the things they do because of addiction? Why do they take the drugs and get into the messes they're in? Why are they addicted to sex, porn, food, gambling? Why are they addicted to to their phone. You're like, I'm not addicted to my phone. Really? Really? What's the first thing you touch when you wake up? And what's the last thing you let go when you go to sleep? And what's on your mind when you wake up? I'm going to pick my phone up. Do you, think, do you think that's not an addiction, that you cannot stop going to that screen? Why? Because it fires something in your brain that makes you feel good. It is a substitute that's trying to get you to shalom for some reason. And that is the nature of addiction. You see, addiction is our trying to short-circuit the pathway that God has given us to find shalom with things that are substitutes and don't really fulfill. In fact, the truth of the matter is, is the more we give ourselves to an addiction in trying to find shalom, it ends up destroying the shalom that we already have and eventually plagues our entire life where everything is not at peace and is destroyed. 
as one addict who was recovering said to a friend of mine, a Brazilian facility, he said, the devil gives with one hand, but he takes with two. The devil gives with one hand, but takes with two. Pointing to the reality that why do people stick with these addictions even though it leads them down a path that will destroy their life? They stick with it because it feels good. It feels good, and the more and more they do it, the more they need that good feeling, but it's just not enough to keep you to the place where you get to shalom, so they have to do it again with more intensity, and so on and so forth. The devil gives with one hand, but he takes with two until he eats you up alive, and you will have no shalom in any place in your life. That is the nature of addiction. Bear with me here. This is Dee Dee Bacon. This is the way I think about it. Check out this picture. This is a picture of a tire that has been worn, according to my research, has been worn because the car is out of alignment. This tire is worn because there's something wrong with the car that it's attached to. Uh, it's not running the way it needs to be. It's out of alignment. And the way I think of addiction is this. Our cars are out of alignment, and in order to fix the tire, what we do is change the tire. And in changing the tire, it gives us a quick and temporary fix, right? The car's tires are fixed. It drives straight. It doesn't bounce. It doesn't act weird. It doesn't pull to the left or pull to the right. It doesn't do the things that it was doing when it was worn out because of being unaligned. And so it gives us the feeling, the, the deceived feeling of everything is good and everything is well. Why? Because we changed the tire. Addiction are people who are out of alignment, who keep changing the tire, but never deal with the real problem. What is the real problem? The car is out of alignment. And the work that needs to be done is not the quick fix of the tire change, but more importantly, Importantly, the change that goes deep to the heart of the car, putting it back into alignment and doing the hard grind work of becoming shalom, being at peace. I've seen this in my own life. I was born, raised by a single mom until she married my dad, little Jimmy Bacon when I was seven or eight years old. Met him at church. Great story. So I didn't have a father figure in my life the first seven, eight years of my life, and so my father figure was my grandfather. My grandfather, I called him Big Daddy. Big Daddy was a literal translation of the French word for grandfather. My mother was French. Grand-père was the name for, for, for grandfather. Grand-père, big father. So my brain translated it. He was my Big Daddy. And I love my big daddy. My big daddy was my hero. He used to like, he had this belly. I was like, old grandpas get bellies, right? But it was like, it was like hard rock concrete. It's like the guy had swallowed a medicine ball, right? And he was just, <laughs> and he would say, Didi, come here, punch it, punch it. He was French. So I'd punch his belly, pow, pow, pow. And it was awesome. It was hard as a rock. And I'm like, yeah, big daddy, he's the man. Now, one thing I always remember of Big Daddy is that he loved his whiskey. Loved his whiskey. As soon as it was the right time, whiskey and water, straight. When he was done, he would do this. He would put it on his head, his glass. Hey, D.D., give me another one. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. But as I grew up, I began to think something's not right with it. One time, he was drinking. He took me out 
a little wobbly driving the car. And I told him, I said, Big Daddy, you drink too much. And he scoffed at me, harshly bit at me, and he said, that's so I can go to the bathroom more. He didn't say go to the bathroom more. And I was like, whoa, yikes, what's going on here? And as I grew up, I realized this and I reflect back, and you don't think of this as a kid, and, you know, in families, we don't necessarily talk about it. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather needed to drink in order to live. My grandfather needed what drink whiskey gave him in order to try to achieve what he was longing for, shalom. Shalom. Someone once said, empathy is the ability to press pause on your own thoughts and feelings long enough to understand someone else's. Reggie Joyner said that. And I've done that with my grandpa. I pressed pause on my own feelings, my own hurts and confusions, and I've tried to understand what was going on. And I come to discover in my grandfather's story is a story of a broken heart, a man without shalom. When my grandmother, the love of his life, was 35 years old, she died in labor, childbirth, off the complications involved with their sixth kid. The baby was stillborn. And so my mom, who was the eldest at nine, had siblings that followed, seven, five, three, and one. It was devastating to the kids. It was even more devastating to my grandfather because at this time he tried then learn to cope by drinking. And the hurt and the pain and the loss of my grandmother became the source of the destruction of shalom of his heart that then began to permeate his entire life. As he tried to deal with that by drinking, the, shalom began, the lack of shalom began to spread in his relationships with his kids and the relationships with others and even down to his beloved grandson. You see, he was trying to change the tires when he needed to be realigned. That's what addiction is. Now, the good, news, the good news is that there's a way to find peace. There's a way to find peace that God provides all those who are willing to walk through with him. God provides us a way to welcome back those parts of us that have been broken off because of pain and hurt and suffering and disappointment. He allows us to welcome back those parts of us that we may be ashamed of, those parts of us that we may be af afraid to acknowledge, those parts of us that we are embarrassed of, those parts of us that, that, that are broken off from us in our journey and we're trying to bring back uh, by addiction, but in effect, we're not because addiction doesn't do it. God provides us a way. And that path is captured in another one of our psalms. It's a worship song, song written by King David, told to be sung with stringed instruments, told to be sung at night. Isn't it interesting? At night. I don't know about you, but the burdens of my heart become heavier at night. And this isn't kind of cool that God says, hey, sing this at night. It's a path to finding shalom because what we will discover is that God's grace provides us a way to find shalom, the shalom that our cravings ultimately are desiring, desiring in addiction. And so let's follow, go through Psalm 4. Answer me when I call you, my righteous God. 
Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are in your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking who will bring us prosperity. Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, there it is, in peace I will lie down and sleep. In shalom I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We walk through the psalm, we see it begins with pain. It begins with the psalmist crying out because something has hurt him. He is in distress. His shalom has been disturbed. What the cause of the distress, we don't know. We can guess maybe a hurt, a Abuse, lying, death, disappointment, abandonment, rejection, however that plays out. This hurt creates a misalignment, a lack of shalom. It creates offenses and feelings of discord and disharmony, but then it lands in surrender to God. And what we see in the psalm is that going with God, going with God, submitting ourselves to God's way, is the way to the shalom our addictions crave. I want you to take note of these words in the statement, going with God is the way our shalom, the way to the shalom's our addiction. Going with God. If we're to find peace, it's a matter of walking with God. It's a matter of presence. We don't find ultimately our life living under God, although that's what we do. We don't assume the arrogance of living over God by His principles. We're in control. No, we don't live ultimately with life from God or we live for God. No, we live with God and those things all fall in its right place. But we work with God in life and it finds we come to the place of peace. Shalom. You know, I have friends that tell me that the first step to this whole process is that confession of need. The first step in this process is simply surrender. Surrender. Uncle, I'm done. I cannot do it on my own. The way I'm choosing to try to get shalom doesn't work. The beginning of this process out of of, of this addiction cycle begins with first and foremost in the first step is acceptance. Acceptance. Cannot do it on my own. To admit that I'm powerless over my addiction, that my life has become unmanageable. Now the sad thing is that acceptance only usually comes typically from pain, right? Uh, we just got to go through pain, and pain brings things into sharp focus and into reality. I think of pain, and I think of the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told, right? And, and when Jesus said the boy was in the pig pen, and he was checking out the pods, the food that the pigs were eating, and he was wanting to eat it, all of a sudden, it was like a slap on his face. He came to the reality of acceptance. How did I get here? Well, I walked here by my own actions, my own desires to go my way, and now look at where I'm at. I'm looking to eat pig food. 
But you know, I know a better way. I know my father, my father doesn't even treat the lowest of his servants in this manner. I will go back to my father. I will confess my sin. I will say I've offended you and I offended God and I don't deserve anything you give, but would you please let me be just your lowest servant because in that place, it's better than where I'm at. Acceptance is the starting point of the journey to shalom. After acceptance, to be honest, when you, when you acknowledge that you are the problem, it gives birth to the hope that you can find the solution. When you take ownership that you are the problem, it gives birth to the hope that there's a solution. And hope is the next step. Belief that a power greater than myself can restore me to shalom, that I don't have the answers, that I don't have it all under wrap, that I need help, and that help can only first come from God and from the others that he puts into my life that will pour into me the grace of God that will bring me to shalom. That third brings to the third step in this process, willingness. Surrender applied in the moments of living. It is not only this moment of, uh, you know, many people come to it, right? Oh, I need help. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then all of a sudden they feel a little better and they go back to the old way of dealing things, go back to the addiction. No, uh, your next step is going to have to be a day-to-day commitment, a willingness to say, I am going to dedicate myself to walk with God in my every moment to live with God, to know that God's greatest gift is God is with us, that he wants me to walk with him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. God is with me. If God is with me, nothing could stand against me, but I've got to hold on to the truth that God is with me. Peace is found in his presence. That presence is discovered in the day-to-day submission of God, being willing to accept his way, not my way, as the path. Step four is about community with others, personal inventory, because not only are we made right with God, we, we need to come and find shalom, peace, by making peace with those whom we've hurt and others, personal inventory, making a searching and courageous moral inventory of myself. This can only be discovered when we are safe in community, first with God and with others. Path to freedom from addiction is always going to involve being in a place where you can honestly say, I have no secrets, and it is good with my soul. Step five is self-disclosure. Admit to God, ourselves, and another person, a, a person who has trusted the exact nature of our wrongs and our hurts and our sufferings. Step six is reflection. The saying is that we all grow from experience. That's not true. Because I know many people that experience The same thing over and over and over. And if they grew from experience, they wouldn't do that. No, we grow from learn from from reflected experience. When we take the time to ask ourselves with courage, okay, what is it about me that keeps repeating these same things and coming to the same outcomes? You know, the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing in the same way, even harder than before and expecting different results. No, you can't do that. You have to change. You have to accept the reality that what you're doing is not working and be open per reflection to make those changes. In order to do that, it requires humility. Step seven, courage to ask God to remove my shortcomings. Humility means taking responsibility, which then comes to amends list. Step eight, 
Make a list of all who have been negatively affected by my actions. Not only make that list, be courageous to lay out the offenses, the things that you've done and failed to do, the missteps that you've made, the things that you need to let go of, and then step nine, make amends. Direct amends where possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Maybe there's some people you cannot make amends because they're not around, but if you write it out and communicate that, and I've heard of people burning up that list as a way of offering it up and letting go, then do that. Step 10 through 12 about living in peace. Step 10 is continued inventory. Good news of Jesus is that I'm valuable and I have value to give to God. It's taking responsibility for my actions. It's saying if I'm the problem, the good, it's good news because by the grace of God and the resource of his spirit, I can be the solution. Step 11 is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is about being at peace beginning to thrive in life. is about being characterized as one who lives by the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which leads to the final step, 12, giving back. A grace recipient who is a grace giver. When you choose to help others who are also struggling with addiction or other searching for shalom that you've found, you share with them You bless them because openness begets openness. Peace begets peace. Let's pray. Thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for the courage of Jake and sharing his story. Thank you that uh, you make us whole, that we find shalom in you. If we would uh, submit ourselves, surrender to walking with you, to not buy into the lies of the enemy who will give with one hand but takes with two until he eats us up. I pray that you would give us the courage to follow you and to follow the steps needed to deal with uh, the misalignments of our lives and to do the hard work, which is hard work, that I know you want to do so that we can come to a place of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.